Here's the thing is, there is no control. We give the illusion that we are actually under control. We have control of your investments. And the reality is, is a roller coaster. No one knows when that roller coaster, it jumps off the track, and that's what happened in 2009. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Corey Peterson. Corey is a very successful real estate investor, but didn't start out that way. He was actually a part of the Wall Street casino, as I call it. He was a financial advisor and ended up getting disillusioned with that industry, leaving and getting into real estate investing. And today we go through that journey, how he started in real estate, and most importantly, I think, how he really grew very quickly in the multifamily space, hockey stick growth leading to over 200 million in real estate investments over his 18 year real estate investing career. He shares many key lessons with us today from his growth, tough lessons that he learned along the way from business partnerships that didn't go well to bringing his property management in-house, firing all of his third-party property managers and starting his own in-house property management, what it means to him to be a CEO and the leader of a company, what his main job is now as the leader of all of these folks that work for him and all of this investor capital and so much more. There's so much great knowledge in this and Corey is just a, a lot of fun to talk to and you're going to have a great time. He really uh, brings a, a certain aloha spirit to our conversation today. So you're going to really enjoy it. I know I did. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, our guest is Corey Peterson. Let's go. Hey, Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to go through your background, your experience in real estate, and really just there's so much, I think, knowledge you have to share for us. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do in real estate? And then we're going to rewind the clock, talk about how you escaped the Wall Street casino. Yeah, yeah. So Corey Peterson, doing an investment name in my company, been in business since 2005. We currently own about $230 million asset center management, 10 active multifamily projects where we actually do 70% of that is in student housing. So it's a little bit different than the traditional multifamily space. And then we are vertically integrated. We actually manage all our own assets. We found that is the key to success is because third party management companies will, they just don't care about the profit and loss. That can definitely be the case. They take a lot of asset management to keep them on board. And so we were talking about your impetus for getting started in real estate all the way back in the day. You used to be a financial advisor. Can you tell us about that hustle and then also how you got kind of disillusioned with that space and wanted to get out of it. Yeah. It's funny. I, I started off in 2005 as a financial advisor. That's when I started my company in real estate, but I, I actually ran out of money and, and I needed a job and somebody said, Hey, you can be a financial advisor. I'm like, well, do you need a degree to do that? They're like, no, you just have to pass tests. I said, cool. I, I can study for a test. Right? So I got hired by Edward Jones, which is they're out of St. Louis. I would say they're the top of the, all the financial firms, but it doesn't matter because they're all the same. But I'll give you my short pitch on this or what I learned from it. Like, so you're really a licensed salesperson. 
right? You're, you have a license, but your job is like the Wolf of Wall Street is to take people's money and invest it and get a fee. And it's really weird where they call you a broker for a reason because you're broker than all your clients. Right? <laughs> so Wall Street amazes me where, you know, multimillionaires will come in and get advice for someone making $70,000, right? Because I've been classically trained. I passed the test. I made like a 72, okay? But I did take the job serious and I went really hard. And, I, and, I, and the thing was, you start investing people's money and then you're doing what you've taught. You have a balanced portfolio. You know, you're looking to hopefully make between a six and 8% return, right? That's what everybody's, yeah, that's what we're taught. Those are the good numbers, safe, secure, see all those words. Here's this mutual fund that has, you know, 74 years of history and, you know, with a bond fund and all this stuff. And for retirement people, that's what most retirement people, they come into your office. And, but here's the thing is there is no control. We give the illusion that we are actually under control. We have control of your investments. And the reality is it is a roller coaster. No one knows when that roller coaster, it jumps off the track. And that's what happened in 2009. It didn't just go up and down. It jumped off the track. And I will tell you, Taylor, I had grown men and women. I'm talking 65 plus come into, I'll never forget it. I had this one couple, both were from Intel, retired from Intel, had $3 million invested balanced portfolio, conservative, more in the bonds, right? Conservative bond fund, most of it, 65% of it. And market crashes, now it's the value of it's worth 1.5. They come into my office and I'm telling you, the woman just was like, sat down and like weeping. I'm honestly weeping. And her husband's just like looks fraught. And their question is, court, the question, am I going to run out of money? And the answer was yes. If you keep doing this, yes, you will run out. And I mean, it was, it hit me hard. I just realized I had no control, none. And I really wanted to do real estate. So when my heart left that business from those types of conversations, suddenly my sales left at that point too. <laughs> I actually got fired from Edward Jones because I stopped producing and which was the best thing that ever happened because that's when I really went full time into real estate. And, but real estate, Edward Jones did teach me a lot about money, how money works and what the expectations are of it from, if you're in that rat race, if you're on the roller coaster, I think you call it, what do you call it? Um, the wall street casino, the, the casino, mm -hmm. exactly. Let's gamble. Right. And I just find that wealthy people, when you really start making wealth and you understand, well, wealthy people actually invest very differently from what people do in the stock market. And it really is about control. You want to, because most of the times, most people are smart enough. If you get a little bit of training and understanding, you can actually invest your money better than a broker, right? Although you pick an index fund, you could be not pay anybody anything. But anyways, it is a roller coaster. And my experience from that is what I love about real estate is there's a lot more predictability. And then there's a lot more levers that you can, I mean, we just went through COVID. We went through, now we're in a interest rate rich environment, right? Yet I'm still being able to function in real estate. I'm still driving my assets forward. So I think real estate, there's something to be said. People still have sleep somewheres. And if you provide good housing and a good alternative, people will live there and they'll pay you rent. Absolutely. So when you found yourself no longer at the investment advisory, the financial advisor, and you needed your full-time real estate 
between then and now, you've had some pretty serious, you know, hockey stick growth in your real estate portfolio. But what did those early years really look like once you had been kicked out of the Wall Street casino, if you yeah. will, and were full time in real estate investing? It was lean. <laughs> I remember. So I started off as a wholesaler. When I went, when I left Edward Jones, I remember going to my wife's like, honey, like it happened. And I was like, and I didn't even know exactly how I was going to be successful in real estate, but I will tell you this. I made a commitment to myself that I would do whatever it took. I would never quit. One thing I did with Edward Jones Wright is it helped bring out this dedication and really this fire that I wanted to be self-employed. I wanted to work for myself and I knew that was the only way to do it. And real estate was a much better vehicle. But I just started going to the local RIAs. I find I found investors that were doing deals. I'm like, hey, where do you like to buy your properties at, right? What kind of margins are you looking at? And then I'd go find deals like that. I would go, I'd actually learned this one strategy where back in REOs and short sale days is you got on the MLS every day and wrote offers. You'd find brokers and short sale agents that would take your listings and, and let you have the first look. Well, that was relationship-based. I did that. And then I'd use the investor's money to buy the deal and they'd pay me a little fee. So I was just hustling, but I was in the game. I was like, man, I'm doing real estate. I'm making a little bit of money. And then the next piece that changed my life was I finally raised OPM, other people's money. And this was a guy I played racquetball with and I wasn't even asking for his help. I was asking if he knew anybody. I was just asking for a referral, told him what I was doing in the real estate space. He would watched me. I was like, Carl, if you know anybody in this retirement community, let me know. He said, well, I'll see what I can do. Well, the next day he calls me. He's like, Corey, you still want to do that deal? I think I want to do it. You know, how much money do you need? And I was like, oh, that's a little question. I'm like, okay, I got no money for the payments, whatever. And I was like, I need $85,000. And Carl was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Where do you want me to send it? And so once I raised that first piece of private money, that was like, a, to me, like going to the telephone booth is like Clark Kent. And I saw <laughs> that thing like Superman. I was like, but for me... It broke every limiting belief that I'd had in myself. And it gave me the confidence that, man, I can do this. And then when you start really looking around, it's like, there's got to be other people that are out there raising capital. And then you learn that you got to have a track record. Well, I had a track record. It all my wholesales. So I started putting all the stuff together and creating digital assets and things that I could show my investors what I was doing. And shortly, you know, within a couple of years, I had like $3 million of money working single family fix and flips. Then I just got tired of chasing my tail because I was doing so many projects. I'm like, gosh, and I'm just buying and selling, buying and selling. That's a horrible tax strategy, by the way. Mm -hmm. Horrible tax. When you realize that it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Then you start looking at things different. So that was the ne my next lesson was like, hold on, Corey, you got to start understanding taxes. And um, I drove by an apartment one day and I remember I used to say, I wish I could own an apartment. And that day I just said, how can I? And I actually bought four books, and one of them is right behind you, called Multifamily Millions by David Lindahl. And that was the last book I read, because it's Murphy's Law, right? I read four books. The last one I read was the one I connected with. And David actually became my mentor and taught me the multifamily space. And from there, now we own $230 million of commercial real estate, and we've raised almost over $90 million in private equity. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so really changing your strategy, scaling up and asking yourself that right question of how can I own an apartment building? I love all of that. What did that first apartment deal look like that you actually, you know, executed on and took down? Yep. I actually, so I went to a David Lindahl event 
And I used to go there like everybody else where I was, you know, trying to find people that were doing deals. And I was like, man, I'm going to go to this next event a little bit differently. I just, in my mind, I was like, I've already been raising money from these single family people. I knew I had some command of capital. So I went to this event just and just said it like, Hey, listen, I got a crap ton of money. I'm looking for some deals. Is there any deals I would love to be? I would love to, you know, see if we can work out something. And so all of a sudden it was like the Godfather, right? <laughs> Cause it was like, Hey, Corey, look at my deal. Look at my deal. I was like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> and so I got the pick of the litter for that week that everybody had deals. I found a great deal and I bought this, these guys at $250,000 hard and they needed about a million and a half. They needed it like the next month to close. I had it. I knew I could get it. And so I struck a 75, 25% ownership deal with them. This was 144 units in Greenville, South Carolina. I bought it for 3.2 million and we did the deal, right? Now there's lots of stories in how that deal went. I eventually bought out both partners, right? Know that partner is a big lesson in any real estate deal. Know that now. I have those battle scars, but we held it for five years, which was our plan and sold it for $8.8 million. Wow. Wow, and that one deal changed my life forever. It was just one of the things. Wow. Yeah, no, there's, there's a great return on that property. So the idea of know thy partner, I'm sure there's a whole story there. You know, we don't need to get into all the weeds, but you know, what was your, what were your big lessons out of that experience of not knowing these folks you were getting into business with? And over the course of those five years, I'm sure there was somewhere in there where you were like, I'll give you the first couple of verses. This will be, sure. this. <laughs> so, all right. So the first thing was, Hey, you just really know the operating agreement, right? Know your operating agreement, really. That's the details of how you're going to go into business with each other. And you know, your exit strategies, what does, what does it take to buy someone out? What can you do? What can you not do? Who's in control? What's your voting rights? I had negotiated 75% ownership and I wanted 75% voting rights and somehow in closing. We sign because when you close, you get a bunch of big packets of documents and you're signing, signing. you're trusting your attorney, which I didn't have a great attorney at that time. I didn't, I didn't have a great attorney because it was still new to me. So he missed it. And I signed an agreement saying 33, 33, 33 at 75% of the profits. It was going to get paid to me, but my voting rights went to a third and there was two against one. So I was going to be overridden every time. Right. Whoa. So I found that out after I closed. And like the two days later, and I'm not proud of this moment. I may have called somebody and said, I'm coming over your house and hell's coming with me <laughs> and we're going to make a deal. I'm buying you out. And that's what happened. I bought him out. I bought his shares for a couple hundred thousand dollars, which I didn't have. And so I had to call a friend and I'm like, Hey, send me 200,000. And he did. And when I did that, the other guy sued me because he didn't think that I could legally do it, even though I felt like I could have got a sudden leak in legal, legal advice, but it still was kind of a gray area, right? Because our operating agreement wasn't perfect. And so I had two years of litigation and then I bought the other guy out and it cost me $450,000 to wow. buy him out. So now a good deal solves all problems. And the one thing that I did do right is when I bought that deal, I underwrote it, underwrote it very clear. I knew exactly what it needed. I knew I could do it. I had the resources to do it. I saw the business plan very clear. And so I executed and made sure I executed my business plan precisely. Now, buying anything in 2010, looking back, 
you should get throw a dart and probably win. So I'd like to say that was a genius, but it could have been just market timing. I did pick a right, uh, the right asset. And, but to go from three million to nine million, we sold it at a four cap. The reason we sold it at a four cap is because we had steady, systematic, rising income, which is the formula to sell anything for a stupid amount of money. It's got to, it can't be Yankee. It's got to be nice and clean and steady. Like if your you know, income is usually 225, 225, 227, 228, it's just going to be nice and steady and rising, slowly rising. While bigger players love to buy those, I call it, they love easy buttons. And you give them an easy button, they'll overpay you for it. So that is actually my, so I learned a lot from that first deal. It sounds like it. And some folks might call that a, a seminar. You know, we learn from those experiences and expensive seminars. So I'd also like to talk about being vertically integrated and doing in-house management, and everything like that. When did you start that? Was that first deal third-party managed or did you yeah. in-house manage the first one? We you- actually just brought that in this year. Right? Oh. I, for, I didn't say yes, so, but I'm convinced out of all the things I've done in, in my years of experience in real estate, 2023 is going to be go down as my, the best thing I've ever done was to take over the property management of all my assets for the simple reason that third-party management companies just, they don't care. I've hired small regional ones. I've hired big national ones and I can never get those all management companies suck. And I guess probably I could probably say my management company sucks, right? but at least it sucks the way that I want it to suck. Okay. But we're P&L focused, profit and loss. So we watch our dollars. Every third-party management company are fee-focused. They don't care what your property does as long as they collect the revenue. And so there's a major misalignment, I think, I know so, that we're, we won't experience as, as bad, right? Because we have put in measures and now there are employees. And then also... Here's the thing that I know that you can really do, Taylor, is you can infect culture. And you have culture at your properties, whether you know it or not, and it's probably not your culture that you really want. It's probably some other third-party manager's culture, and that could be toxic, by the way. And so we infected our properties now with our culture. We, I brought all my property managers. First thing I did, brought them over to, to our office here in Arizona, and I loved them. We spent time together. We did some team building. I took them have a Jeep that goes, we go rock crawling. I scared the hell out of him. I almost tipped him over, right? <laughs> but it bonded us. <laughs> you know, scare him to death and then take him out to dinner. <laughs> but more importantly, so I needed them to understand my vision and I needed them to buy into it. When I got buy-in, it is amazing what people will do for recognition, and a little bit of upside. I'll give them some bonus here and there and just let them know you care. They will move mountains for you. I love that. And I think- that cultural conversation, a culture at our properties, you know, it gets to something that we often don't talk about enough in the investing spaces. Our, our tenant experience is so critical to what we can get in our rents and eviction rates and, and all of that. So the process of building your internal property management, you know, company, I'm sure you got fed up at one point. You're like, all right, enough's enough. I'm going to do this. But what was that like? I mean, we've you know, we've sold properties before and we had a great person in the office and we say to the new owner, you know, keep that gal. She's awesome. Did you just go to your property managers and say, look, you're fired. I want your people or like, what did you do? Well, I put them on us. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make it a change. And so 
And I'm going to fight like hell to keep everybody mm. that I want. That's what I told them. Right? So I'm like, I'm going to fight like hell to keep everybody. Like, they're going to have a choice. They can stay with you or they're going to come with me. And I'm going to really fight hard to keep the ones that I want. And, and that's what I did. Right? Um, before I let them go, I, I actually flew them out to come to Arizona. Right? Before we quit our, our management agreement, they were already at my place experiencing COVID. Right? Wow. So, and I lost some people who didn't go my way, but most of them we did. But what I did do, and so there's a book called A CEO Does Three Things by Trey Taylor. Great book. And the, it talks about people, numbers, and culture are the three things a CEO should do. And so he has a little bit of a hiring process in there. And I use it intently, but I have great leaders. And I find when you hire great leaders, it all starts from the top and goes down. And then you hire and the managers. We had some great managers. And we had actually already been kind of placing our managers, the ones that we wanted to keep at our properties. So like we had this one big asset that a lot of great people were, hey, listen, John, do you want to go over here to the Campus Evolution? We're going to have a spot over there for you as a property manager, right? And we're like, we're going to go ahead and give that to you now. So we started strategically placing all our people because we're no dumb-dumbs, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we kind of knighted everybody before they were ready, to, before we actually officially did it. So then they were loyal to us. And so it worked out really well. It wasn't as, but, but now... Was it a lot of work? Bro, we're still in our SOP hell because we didn't have a property management company before. I've got, I mean, I've got people that are on my staff that are 30 years experience and we're building all that stuff now. And so we asked for some grace. We asked for some love. And but I said, no one will love you and take care of you. And you guys are different because where you were in this large organization that no one knew your name, you're now this close to the owner and I know your name and we're growing. And so there is opportunity. And we're going to do fun stuff and you're going to matter. So it'd be like the, the cool company, you know, we're in the Steve Jobs, you know, we're a little bit, we just got out of the garage, but we're not that far out of the garage. Cool. Wow. So it strikes me that books seem to have had a huge influence on the way you do things, the way you execute, the way you think about your business, not just Dave Lindell's book, but the CEO does three things book. Would you agree with that? I mean, it seems like a, a pretty big through line for you. Readers are leaders. Okay. I believe the more you read, where do entrepreneurs and visionaries, I'm a visionary, where do you get ideas? Well, you've got to get it somewhere, right? So you go to events, you network like hell. That's what I do. That's one of the things that I do and learn from masterminds and seminars and stuff like that. And then you read. And sometimes I like to read. I'm an avid reader. Now I listen to audiobooks more now than I do in, in reading them. I still go into a place where when I'm reading a book, listening to a book, I have no other distractions. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm entirely focused on the book. And if I'm hiking, but I'm listening intently. And I just love, I love getting ideas. And then the biggest thing, and this is the most people are not like this. I can hear those ideas. And then I can translate them and move and put them into action. And so like Trey Taylor, he has four C's. It's, it's called your four interview process, culture, capabilities, compensation, and commitment. It, that, there's a four-step interview process. And I've written it down. I have my own four C's process. I know the stories that I tell. I talk about my company culture. We have what's called the kind attitudes, which is the way our culture, like we can talk and say like, we give choke praise. We uh, 
spread aloha, be the kind. Like that's the Hawaiian word, being the kind. It's like be you, be uniquely you, the kind. And then my favorite one is we make it mo better, right? And so that is like a rally cry. We you know we make things mo better, and but it's fun. But it is, it, but it's our culture. And then I see my people display it, and then I give praise when I see it. And that's my job is I'm the number one praise machine. I try to love on my people when they feel well, like we, one of our things, be Ohana, right? Lilo and Stitch, the rock said family, no one gets left behind. And so we practice what we preach and then people see it, it becomes infectious. And when I love on my people, they will radiate out and affect all my investors and my properties and the tenants and the people that we live into it. And that's the world that we've tried to create. Wow. I love that. Love all this knowledge you've shared with us today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Corey, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, my wife was the kind of woman that when we were first met, I was a used car salesman. I never told you that, Taylor. I was... I barely met a high school. I was not voted most likely to succeed. My wife would put her credit card underneath the table so I could pay for it on my side. And I will be, honestly, I owe all my success to that woman because she believed in me when no one else would. Wow. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of the coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I was on a cruise and some guys got me to buy some kind of Bitcoin thing startup. I don't know. It was likely it was only a small, it was $50,000, but from some people in out in Europe, and I that money was gone today. I sent it. Uh, oh. It was a horrible experience. Never again. Ouch. Well, sounds like a big lesson learned. And that brings me to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? To not be afraid to fail. I think failure is predicated on success. The more that you are the more you fail and the quicker you fail, the, the more that you learn that it's okay to make mistakes and fail, success will come find you faster, sooner, better, stronger. All the times that I've looked in my life, the times that were the best were the times that were tough and hard. The easy ones I never remember, but the times that were tough and hard, I always remember. And I always pull my strength from that. So don't be afraid to fail, my friend. Wow, man, that's a big one. Well, Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, if folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what they're what you're up to, and I know you've got a book and everything, where can they track you down? Yeah, so I use this way. I would love to give you guys a copy of my book called Copy Your Way to Success. And all you have to do is text the word book, B-O-K, to 480-500-1127. So book to 480-500-1127. 
and we'll ship it to you for free. And that, and I guess we have a, a podcast called the Multifamily Legacy Podcast, where we teach a lot of the things that I know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Five stars, if you don't mind, you guys. That really does help us. I really do appreciate that. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you.